Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a Thursday get-together here on Birds 365. You got your Mac and Mac guys here, John McMullen, Jody McDonald, leading into a lengthy 4th of July weekend. Mac man, I'm not going to see you for four days after this. How will I continue to exist? I got a feeling you're going to enjoy that, but but I'm sure you'll be nice about it. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe you'll tell me the truth, but... You know, it's July 1st as well, Jody. So that is an interesting day on the calendar for two reasons. Two reasons. One, more important for Birds 365, I guess, it's we can say the Eagles are reporting to training camp this month now. So we're getting ever closer. And then the second, as a baseball guy, you know, this is happy Bobby Bonilla day. Oh, Matt's still writing that check. Still writing it. Damn. Still writing it. I, I think that I think Bobby Bonilla or his uh, heirs will be cashing those checks when you and I are no longer doing Birds 365 or doing anything like breathing could be over and done with before uh, Bobby Bonilla stops cashing those Met checks. All right, uh, we will stay away from baseball because the Philly bullpen blew another game last night. Actually, no, Aaron Nola took the loss, but I really felt bad for Aaron Nola because. They dinked and dunked him to death last night. You talk about bleeders and bloops and the like. Nola got uh, stiff. But the the Phillies lost. What else is there? But we'll try and stick to football for most of the day. And we got two good guests coming our way to help us do just that. Paul Downward's going to join us a little over 20 minutes from now. And then uh, John McClain, uh, one of the preeminent columnist in the National Football League for the last several decades, writing for the Houston Chronicle, is going to hop aboard with us as well. Uh, So, yes, we've got a good one planned for you because we've got a couple of good uh, NFL insiders. I want to start today's show by talking about some of your compatriots, Johnny Macri, just talking about the uh, crush for information that you deal with, the Birds uh, media room uh, that you share with many different individuals. Uh, but l- let me uh, bring up a couple of guys who you do uh, just that, share that space with, who over the last several days have written similar type columns, not exactly the same, but similar type columns, including our buddy Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice, who was on with us earlier this week after coming back from vacation. And he wrote uh, a story about the five breakout stars. Now, you define breakout how you see fit to define breakout. Jimmy had a specific way to define it. He did a pretty good job of explaining it. You and I can have a different definition for the word breakout. But his column was about five breakout stars 
for the Philadelphia Eagles in the 2021 season. Did you read Mr. Kem- Kemsky's work? I did. I always read Jimmy's work. He's a friend of the show. You got to support him. Philly boys as well. So, yeah. I, I mean, why wouldn't you read Jimmy's work if you're an Eagles fan? And we know the dumpster fire. We just talked about the dumpster fire series. That's phenomenal. That's why, that's why we had him on earlier this week. But he added to his content by putting out this list of the five breakout stars, potential breakout stars for the Philadelphia Eagles. Some make a lot of sense. Some are good and debatable. Uh, I'll run them down for you real quickly, and then we'll talk about them. Number one, not surprisingly, Jalen Hurts, because it all starts with the quarterback in the National Football League, and Eagles are going with one with uh, minimal experience. How much of a breakout year can he have? Number two, Jalen Rager. They're hoping the Jalen's go hand-in-hand. Is this the year after a disappointing, that's the word I'll use, uh, rookie season for Jalen Rager? that he steps up maybe as the number two guy behind Devontae Smith. Defenses uh, don't swing their best cornerback his way. It's a possibility. I see where you can make that argument. Number three, Jordan Mailata, who both you and I suggest that he's not a lock to be the starting left tackle, but some people believe he's got a, a leg up over Andre Dillard for that position. Should be a great training camp competition yeah that's right nick sirianni that's We're a going real one. A competition for you uh my lot against dillard should be good uh my lot of number three number five is dillard himself which means uh, one of them's gonna break out don't know which one it's gonna be just yet but we got faith whoever wins that job is gonna have a breakout season and the other one he included was quez watkins um quez had a uh a, a, a fit and a start freshman season in the NFL. He did uh, make a couple of big plays. He seems like a little bit of a downfield threat, which every NFL team is looking for. Um, But they have a bunch of young wide receivers who will be given a chance to grab positions in that wide receiver offense this year. Um, Give me your thoughts on the five guys that Jimmy described as underrated or uh, excuse me, Breakout stars. Well, the, I, I like his thought process behind all of them. The concern is none of them are on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I asked uh, uh, Jimmy's buddy, and they do a podcast together, Brandon Lee out, and when he was on the show yesterday, give me your breakout potential stars. And I always take Devontae Smith off the, the right. table when I ask that question because it's too easy and I want to hear uh, sort of a maybe under more more under-the-radar player. And that's why I take Demonte out. Uh, and 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 you know he gave us his thoughts, and I've been given. I I said Abonte Maddox, you know, because I think he he's going to play more in the slot, no matter what the Eagles do at outside corner. He's on a contract year. I think he's going to be better than people think. Um, but offensively, I think he he hit the nail on the head. I talked from the from the receiver position. Look, this is the plan. I know you don't like it, Jody, but this is the Eagles' plan. And they want Jalen Rager to be that second receiver. And then they want somebody else to jump up and be that third receiver instead of Greg Ward. And it's either going to be Travis Fulgham or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside playing outside. And then Rager would, would, would go inside to the slot. Or if those guys, and by those guys I'm saying Fulgham and J.J., if they don't perform – then I want to keep Rager outside and put Quez Watkins in the slot because they want more speed on the field. But now here's where it turns positive for you. 
if Greg Ward's better than him, and he very well might be because all of them haven't done anything except Bolgum for a month, um, you know, he's back out there. And then he would be in the slot and Rager would be outside. But certainly my, my, my overriding point is the Eagles want more speed, more explosiveness, explosiveness on the field, and that's where you get Watkins. Watkins, he was a six-round pick, Jody. I mean, it, it, it's sort of a lottery ticket. You buy it. You saw, you saw the one play where he showed his speed and athleticism. If you remember the move on the hitch route and he goes for a touchdown. So people get excited about that. He can run. There's no question about it. But you got a long way to go. You got, especially inside. If you're playing inside, you got to be able to run option routes. You got to be on the same page with the, with the quarterback. It's a difficult position to play. So, but I like his thought process because this is what the Eagles are trying to accomplish. And then you go to left tackle. Yeah. I mean, one of them's going to win the job. And one of them's probably going to be better than people expect uh, for a couple of reasons. I think they both have talent. Uh, people seem to forget that with Andre Dillard. Uh, and the rest of the offensive line is really good. So I think that'll help them. So I, I like the thought process behind all the players. The quarterback is obvious. Right. Let me uh, – you you should know better than me. You might know better than me. I hope you know better than me. Um Quez Watkins, the uh, limited number of catches that he made. And you're right, uh, a couple of them were highlight-type plays that people will remember. But how much of his playmaking catches and the like did he do actually out of the slot? How much of it was outside while Greg Ward was in the slot? Because Greg played a lot of slot for the Eagles when they were in three wide receiver sets, which they were more than they thought they were going to be this year because of the injuries to the two uh, tight ends when I thought they had two uh, top 20 tight ends in the league to start the year. Both of them spent time out of the lineup due to injury. So the Eagles did a whole bunch of uh, three wide receiver sets. How much was Watkins production from the, from actually the slot uh, when Greg Ward was off the field? Yeah, this is, and I'll look it up in the break and I'll tell you exactly, but this, this is just off the top. He didn't play much in the slot last. He didn't play much at all. Uh, so basically, and they looked at him as a guy who can run. And originally, John Hightower was ahead of him on the depth chart because he was drafted a little bit earlier. But And they both have similar skill sets. They, they can both run by people. So in theory, you say that's an outside receiver. But for whatever reason, uh, the new coaching staff has come in and looked at his traits and looked at his ability and said, this guy might be able to do some things from the slot. Um, as to why, I mean, my first indication would be size. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's six foot. He's about 180, 85 pounds. So he's not, he's not that Mike Evans, six foot five, 225 pound outside receiver. So they're trying to get him on the field and we'll see how it works out, but he didn't play much at all. And usually when he was out there, he was outside. Right, and that's why um, I'm taking a wait-and-see attitude if someone can actually beat Greg Ward out in the uh, slot position. Right, uh, another Eagle beat guy you share uh, time and space with, Jeff Knox from Inside the Eagles, listed the three most undervalued, and again, slightly different definition, similar but not exactly the same as breakout potential guys, three most undervalued Philadelphia Eagles, one I know you'll appreciate because you just mentioned him. Number one, Avante Maddox. 
Number two, Josh Sweat. Number three, interesting, Isaac Sayamalu. So you have to have a baseline for someone to be either undervalued, undervalued or overvalued. And again, everyone can have their own baseline that they're using for each of these players. Avante Smith is going to start for the Eagles. The question is inside or outside. We're back to the, the slot discussion. Are you inside or outside? That's both offensively and defensively. I think most people believe Avante Maddox would be better served being inside, covering slot wide receivers than outside, but we don't know how that's going to shake out just yet. Maybe uh, Jeff knows something that we don't know that what this is going to add to the value of Avante Smith, uh, depending on where he lands. Josh Sweat, we all know the breakdown. How many snaps is he going to get? When he's out there, he seems to be a playmaker. Kind of an important year, but they did go out and get Ryan Kerrigan to add to that defensive end mix. And Isaac Sayamalu, as an undervalued guy, I don't see that. It, it, to prove his value, what is he going to do? Keep Landon Dickerson uh, riveted to the bench? That if Landon gets up to speed, gets healthy enough that he can play, Isaac Sayamalu keeps him from playing because he's so good at the guard position? I think uh, most Eagle fans and uh, guys like you and I have a pretty good grasp on what Isaac Sayamalu's value is. Are we actually undervaluing him? Um, I guess it depends on your definition. Uh, he is a good player, and I think people don't realize he is a good player at times because you do have Jason Kelsey, and we all talked about how good Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks are when they're healthy. And then you kind of say, and Isaac, and he's sort of the runt of the litter. Yeah. And if you talk to Jeff Stoutland, um, he's a really good player. Is he a, a, a pro bowl player, an all pro player like these other three? No, but he's, he's real good. When you look at him as compared to the other offensive guards in the league, he's probably, you know, somewhere probably between 20 and 30, which if you think about it, there's 32 teams. That means there's 64 starting guards and the Eagles got two of the top 30, I would say at least, uh, maybe even go a little bit higher for Isaac. I wouldn't go top 20, but he'd be in that 20 to 30 range. Just a really good player. And I don't think a lot of people think of him like that. I think they think, well, he's just a guy and uh, he's with the other player. No, he's he's really good. And you saw when he got hurt, I think people forget. He missed about eight games last year. Yeah, uh, And that was really impactful. Uh, for the Eagles offensive line. So kind of depends, but I think you see the ceiling. I don't think it's going much higher. I, I think where he is, he's just a really good, solid starting left guard in the NFL. Um, and he is going to keep that job. Landon Dickerson isn't going to play there this year whenever he's healthy. I think Landon Dickerson is more about uh, 2022 than 2021. And he'll be playing either center or right guard, not left guard, uh, because that's going to be Isaac Sayamalo. Um, and then you have another tangent. Will he move into center? And I'm talking about Isaac. I don't think he will, but people will be talking about that. My point is he's going to be on the field. So it depends uh, on how you want to rate these guys. I, I pick Avante because he didn't play well. And people know he didn't play well. He didn't play well outside. I think he's got a chance to play at least to an acceptable level inside. He's on a contract year. You always look at that. And then Josh Sweat's the other name you mentioned. Look, Josh has always been effective 
in in his role. I think people are assuming his role is going to get ramped up. I don't think it is. Um, and that's because of his knee injuries. The Eagles are very cognizant of, of what turned him from the top defensive recruit in the country to a fourth-round pick, and that was this catastrophic leg injury. And they kind of know this thing isn't ever going to be 100%. So the more wear and tear on it, he's not playing 90% of the snaps. And, yeah, they've changed coaching staffs, but – you know, the medical people are, for the most part, the same. There's a couple ships every year. But they have this plan with them, and I think that plan will continue. So, it again, it depends on your definition. Mm, Going to ask a uh, follow-up on the offensive line. And I guess I'm asking you to look into your football crystal ball, and I think the best way to do that is probably to try and read Jeff Stoutland more than anything else. If the Eagles are 100% healthy, which I know is <laughs> – a major reach to begin with along the offensive line, but uh, no downtime for Lane Johnson, no downtime for uh, Brooks, no downtime for Kelsey. Their three veteran guys are all uh, 100% healthy, and it's back to 2017 when the line stayed together throughout. If Landon Dickerson is wowing them in practice, um, which is he more likely to get uh, time for? I'm not talking about filling in for an injured guy, but if they just want to get him in there to begin his NFL season and get him some some reps and some action on the field, is he more likely to go in for Kelsey? If Kelsey should go down, is it more likely that they'll move Isaac Samalo to center and put Dickerson in at guard or just put Dickerson right in at center? If Kelsey's the guy who's going to miss time this year, how does the Eagles offensive line on the fly get reconfigured you know it's interesting jody because early in the process when isaac got here you heard a lot that maybe his best natural position was center uh but i go back to to lane johnson when the eagles drafted lane johnson the plan was to start him at right tackle and then move him the left tackle um when jason peters retired never happened jason didn't retire kept coming going and going and going and going And at a certain point, Jeff Stoutland, when answered the question, no, he's so good at right tackle, I'm not moving him. So when Jason and and that's what happened. I think Isaac Isaac's not that good, but Isaac, as I said, is better than people think. I think they're going to be in the same position. Isaac, he's turned into a pretty solid left guard in this league. I don't think they're going to move him now. It's been so long. That's just the personal feeling I get from Jeff Stoutland. We'll get to talk to to Paul about it in a few minutes. Uh, that's the feeling I get. So I, I would think Landon Dickerson's best and only way to get on the field this year is is injury. And one of those three, he'd play anywhere inside. But long term, yeah, I think he's going to replace either Kelsey or Brandon Brooks, not Isaac Samala. I think Isaac's going to be the left guard. The Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365, John McMullen and Jody McDonald with you. All right, coming up next, not only are we going to talk about the Eagles, we're going to talk about the fact that we're not going to get his pros as often as we used to. Uh, he is quasi-stepping aside from the Daily News of the Inquirer. Uh, Paul Domwich is going to join us next right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. 
The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Sneaking up on a uh, 4th of July weekend. We are the Bird 65, uh, 365 guy, Johnny McMullen, Jody McDonald. Hanging with you, and we've got a buddy to hang with us for the next 15, 20, 25 minutes. We might keep him a while because he's going to have to tell us a whole bunch of stories about his many years as one of the lead beat guys for the Philadelphia Eagles, which is unfortunately not going to be the case going forward. All of Fame voter for Philadelphia, our buddy Paul Domwich joins us here on Birds 365. Domo, say it isn't so. <laughs> it's so. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Tom. Yeah, but well, first off, I have to I have to get a promise from you. Number right. one, I I I want you to stay on as the Hall of Fame voter because I want somebody there who respects the history of the game. So tell me you're not thinking about stepping away from that aspect of it. 
Well, I'm planning on staying. Uh, yeah. You know, there are a lot of guys that have gone into semi-retirement that still are Hall of Fame voters. So that's my plan. But if they ever say uh, you need to quit, John, you're number one choice. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's not true, but I appreciate it. And they're not going to ask you to quit. So I got my promise. So I'm happy. <laughs> Damo, you've been doing it for a while, the Hall of Fame. And I, I, I do want to ask you some background questions about how when you took it over, but uh, you dealt with the guys that have come and gone from the Hall of Fame voting committee. How, uh, how much of a push is it? When uh, the the powers that be decide, all right, we need fresh blood. We need somebody who is covering the team on a day in, day out. If you're judging by past guys who have come and gone from your group, how do you think that works? Have you ever talked to guys about it? Well, you know, initially, uh, uh, several years ago, they seemed to really, I mean, every city in the league has had a representative, still does, but there were very few at-large representatives since then, since the way the media has changed with people moving with, you know, the uh, onset of things like ESPN.com and, uh, and all these other sites, uh, they have a lot more at-large voters. It doesn't seem to matter as much, even though they still have a representative. They have, I think we have 48 total uh, selectors right now. That, you know, there's a lot more voice from just uh, – people that have been around football a long time rather than uh, people that are from those cities. So the big positive in, in my view is they've added over the recent years, they added play ex players. They added Dan Fouts, they added James Lofton. Uh, last year they added Bill Polian. You know, I, I, I think they could still add even more because I mean, you know, personnel people and ex players bring a unique, background the, the the writers no matter how long they've been covering a team or the league don't bring so uh, I think that's made it a positive to the to the whole selector group all right I think it's where with 38 years uh, uh, covering the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and the NFL Tomo so you've seen it all when it comes to this particular team you've been through all the regimes uh, give us some of your uh, uh, best moments on the beat or, or some of your, your most notable mem memories from being on this beat because it's always an interesting one. I, I can yeah. say that. Yeah, I started covering the Eagles in, in 84. My first, year, my first year at the Daily News, I came to, to cover boxing, actually, not specifically to cover boxing, but that's what they had available at the, at the time because they had moved some people around after Bud Shaw, a longtime uh, writer, went to uh, San Diego and, and Rich Hoffman went to the Eagles. So I covered boxing for about eight months. The USFL kind of came into existence. I went to their... Uh, and then a year later, I was covering the USFL and, and the Eagles. So, you know, early years were awful with, you know, with Marion Campbell. Um, you know, Buddy Ryan was, you know, I, I didn't much care for the man. Had a lot of flaws. <laughs> you know, that was a great defensive coach. Just had no idea how to – he just he just did not think offense was yeah. all that important because he felt defense could always win games. And, uh, but the you know, stars, Dom, oh, I got to get quick because Jody and I get into the USFL. The Philadelphia mm -hmm. Stars and, and, and Jim Mora and Sam Mills and William Fuller and all the great players, mm -hmm. Calvin Bryant, all the great players they had that turned into NFL stars. How much fun. Did you recognize Jim Mora right away as this guy's 
this guy's a pretty good coach. Maybe he's going to be around for a while. Well, I mean, he had come from, he had been the defensive coordinator for the Patriots before they got him. He wasn't even their first choice. Uh, George Perlis was hired as the, you know, who, oh, who yeah, been, yeah, yeah. They hired him. And then at the last, uh, I wanted, I don't know, at some point before the, their first training camp, George Perlis has offered the job at his alma mater, Michigan State. Yeah. And he leaves, like, I want to say two, three weeks right before their first training camp. And so Carl left Carl Peterson, who was the general manager at the, t- uh, you know, having to find somebody real quick and he made an, you know, an outstanding choice in, in, in Jim Moore, who you know, at the time might've been in his mid forties, young guy, um, smart guy, good defensive coach, put together a staff in a hurry, a staff that, I mean, there are some people that, that, you know, became head coaches in the NFL, became coordinators that, that were around the NFL for a lot of years. I mean, he put together a, an excellent staff on the run. That was the three years I covered that team while I was also covering the Eagles were the most fun probably in my entire career. I mean, you, the access was, you know, particularly compared to today's game was unbelievable. I mean, you know, you, you got, you can talk to players anytime, anywhere. Um, You know, I was essentially the same age as them at the time. Um, You know, they were, they were a good team. Uh, It was, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great players. I mean, you just went through the list. I mean, you know, Sam Mills ended up being, you know, a five-eight guy that you look at and think this guy can't play football. And you know, he's he's been a Hall of Fame finalist the last two years. So uh, it just was a fun time in my career early on. Eagles, you know, early on. I mean, Norman Brayman was interesting to cover. Uh, <laughs> Jody, Jody remembers uh, Norman. Uh, we had kind of a love-hate relationship. There were times when he refused to talk to me. There were times when you, you couldn't shut him up. Um, and he was hated by the players. So yeah. it was kind of a fun – you know, he and Buddy Ryan were just – they despised each other. Uh, I think in, uh, in in the book I wrote with Leo Carlin, Leo relates to, the, to, to seeing after, – after Norman fired Buddy, seeing Norman sitting in the stands – uh, by himself, uh, and he goes down to him, and uh, you know Norman says, you know, I, I feel like this great weight has been lifted off my shoulders <laughs> because I mean, Buddy poisoned the players, poisoned the city against Norman. Now Norman had a lot deserved most of the the criticism he got because he was, you know, too obsessed with the money, and but they still were a very good team. Uh, you know, they made the playoffs. I want to say, I don't know four times and uh, five times and maybe the nine years he owned the team. So, uh, you know, he was interesting. Uh, Randall Cunningham was, it was a player I'll never forget. Um, I wish, you know, you talk about an unfulfilled potential. I mean, that kid had more uh, ability than anybody I've ever covered. And, you know, I mean, he was, he was this generation's, you know, he was, you know, he was Kyler Murray and all these guys wrapped into one, except he, he had this huge body. Uh, yeah, you know, well, I think everybody's seen, you know, the, the play he made against the Giants where uh, I think it was Carl Banks comes in, yeah. tackles them low, and he, you know, manages to, those long legs. He manages to, to avoid the tackle and make a play. Uh, he just – he never learned how to play quarterback. Uh, if he had had a better offensive – head coach, a better offensive coordinator than his coach had at the time that, that he would have listened to. Um, you know, I think we'd be talking about him as he'd be in the Hall of Fame by now. 
and instead he'll he'll just be remembered as a, a very gifted athlete who will you know never get close to Kansas. So yeah, it's been fun covering a lot of players like that, you know, all the way down to Santi Samuel. <laughs> We're going to get to Asante. Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, uh, you would be on a long list of people that Norman Brayman didn't like. You were not uh, solo on that one. That's for damn sure. Number two, um, Jim Mora to the playoffs, what Allen Iverson was to practice. One of the most <laughs> famous quotes in the history of sports. Don't know if you knew you were going to get that from Jim Mora at some point down the road. And the no, USFL... Uh, then I've got to ask you that the USFL is coming back. Johnny Mack is all excited about it. No, he called it's it not gonna an be the iconic same league, yeah. which yeah, I, I yeah. don't agree that it was an iconic league. I had a bunch of players that became iconic, but the league itself was never iconic. Uh, the Daily News going to ask you to cover the USFL. Maybe that's a way we keep you in the mix. You got the well, USFL cred. Come on. You know, it's interesting because, you know, when they made the announcement, what, last month, I think, John? Yeah, uh, yeah. The people from They don't the even Oakland, own the intellectual no. property. No, they, don't, the, they don't own anything. Yeah. The first call I made after I saw the, the release and the, the logo and everything, I mean, it made it sound like the people that put together the first USFL yeah. were, were involved in this one. And I called uh, Steve Earhart, who was the, the last yeah. executive director of the USFL before it folded. And he didn't know anything about it. I mean, he he said they, no, no one asked for rights. Now the league, I'm assuming Fox and the guy that that brought it to Fox think that they have permission from someone. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so bold to do it. You know, I, the, the league, the, the old USFL wasn't going to like not allow it. They just kind of would have liked to have had somebody say, "Hey, can we negotiate the rights to uh, you know use this name and logo and image and everything?" And no one ever did that. So it'll be interesting from that standpoint to see how it goes. From the league standpoint, you know, I in in today's day and age, unless a league is affiliated with the NFL, I don't think a spring league has any chance of survival. I agree. And there's certainly the USFL isn't getting Reggie White level players and Jim yeah. Kelly and Anthony Carter and Garrison and on and on and on and on. Yeah. They were stealing players from the NFL. That's why it was Absolutely. such a big deal. First round picks, Domo. But yeah, I, you know, I do want to, I real quick, you can answer uh, the USFL, but also want to take in, I want to know, did anybody like Buddy Bryan? And I, and I, and I want also Randall, if he finishes the deal in 98, do you think he's a legitimate Hall of Fame candidate if he has that Super Bowl ring from Minnesota? You know, his numbers, overall numbers aren't great. Um, you know, uh, it, I don't know that one year would have changed that for him. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. But, uh, you know, that kind of brought him back into the conversation, even if he had finished the job. I'm not sure it would have gotten him into the Hall of Fame, but you never know. I mean, like I said, I just, I just, every time, you know, maybe because I covered him so closely every day, when I always looked at Randall, I saw the unfulfilled part of him, not what he did, you know, I mean, because there just was, he could have just been, he could have been a, such a great, great player, and that never happened. And Buddy, I want to hear if anybody oh, yeah. give me somebody who liked Buddy Ryan. <laughs> Every Eagles fan yeah, all his players. Well, no, I should yeah. say it was, it was and the players. Yeah. yeah, I mean he. 
I, I, they used to back, back when he was the head coach, they used to have uh, Joe, do you remember the place Ribbit? Uh, sure. the, the Ribbit, yeah. all over the, 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 I don't know if they still have them or not. I don't think they do. Anyway, he had a, he would do a show. You went from Marion Campbell who would do a tape recorded weekly show. Like you yeah. had to, you had to give the, uh, Merrill Reese your, your uh, questions in advance. And if they were acceptable, then, you know, uh, Mer um, uh, he would answer them. And then you went from that to Buddy, who would just, you know, was just off the cuff. Uh, and they would have standing room only crowds at Ribbit when he would yeah. do his weekly radio show. It was just amazing. And the players, I mean, you know, Buddy was a master at causing divisiveness, like getting people close to him and alienated who, alienating whoever he wanted to alienate. In his case, it was, it, you know, it was Norman Brennan and, and Harry Gamble, the general manager at the time. And, the, you know, the players, I mean, you, we all remember uh, the onset of free agency in 94, uh, which was caused by a lawsuit that, that Reggie White was involved with. And when it happened, I mean, the, the exodus of players out of Philadelphia was just mind-numbing. I mean, you know, Pete Jackson, Reggie, everybody wanted out. One, uh, Seth Joyner and Clyde Simmons, everybody wanted out once uh, the door was open because they didn't want to play for Norman Brayman. Oh, I, I think it's amazing. And I didn't move here to Philadelphia until I was 30 years old. So I didn't grow up here, but I've been here over 30 years uh, now. I was 29 when I moved here. Um, if you asked your average 60-year-old Eagle fan, born, bred, uh, right here in the Delaware Valley, have never moved, and there's a lot of people like that, who your favorite Eagle coach is of all time. Yeah. That would include Dick Vermeil, yeah. who went to a Super Bowl, Andy Reid, who went to a Super Bowl in a litany of championship games, Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl. Who are your favorite coaches of all time? I think Buddy Ryan would win. I think he'd get more votes yeah. than anybody yeah. else, who has won the exact same number of playoff games that either me, Johnny, or Damo has won. That would yeah. be zero. Yeah. But if you ask the fans who their favorite coach was, it would be Buddy Ryan because he was a blue-collar, blood-and-guts, yeah. man-of-the-people, beat-the-man-down uh, type of coach. Yeah. And they actually put that on a higher pedestal than winning football games, specifically yeah. during the postseason. Still boggles my mind to this day. I should have pinpointed it more. I was speaking more of people he worked for. Because if you go back to Ditka, you go back to the 85 Bears, they hated each other. They're carrying, yeah. you know, the players are carrying each of them off the field. There was such a disconnect. You got Philadelphia. I think he liked Bud Grant back in the day, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if he got along with anyone he ever worked for. One guy. Uh, we do bank. Okay. I mean, he just, his entire life, he always referred to, he always referenced Weeb. And, you know, he was the defensive line coach on that Jets uh uh, Super Bowl team, I believe. And, uh, you know, he, he always referenced Weeb when it came to, uh, you know, somebody that, that, that he patterned himself after or something he patterned himself after defensively. It was always Weeb. Uh, let, me, uh, let me share a quick Buddy Ryan Weeb Eubank story with you guys. Um, as you know, my father worked for the New York Mets. Uh, which was uh, going every day to the office, which was Shea Stadium, which they shared with the New York Jets. And my father told me that of all the Jet coaches that would come up to the uh, executive floor, the guy who would flirt most with the secretaries <laughs> was easily Buddy Ryan. 
not even close that most of the jet coaches you would never see him on the administrative floor but he said buddy ryan was in his quote-unquote offices every day flirting with the secretaries so believe it or not back in his early days when he was working for we bank uh buddy ryan chick hound absolutely was a player was up there trying to get dates all the time you know in this in in the book i wrote with leo carlin uh one of the great stories uh well, to, he, he had a lot of great Buddy Ryan stories because Buddy didn't much care for him. But uh, Leo was a St. Joe's prep grad, and all of his kids, all seven, all, all five of his, his his sons went there. Anyway, he bring he manages to get Buddy to go reluctantly go to a St. Joe's prep booster club meeting and speak. And you know, Buddy does it like grudgingly, and he gets there. And says absolutely nothing. I mean, being a complete butthole. And yet the, the, the place was packed. I mean, there's people sitting on windowsills. Uh, and then it, even though the, the man was obnoxious to the crowd, they couldn't get enough of him. They thought, oh, this buddy Ryan is great. And they leave. <laughs> they leave and, they're in the, and, and Leo had driven him there from the stadium. Going back, Buddy pulls out a bottle of whiskey from under the seat, which he apparently smuggled in initially. And is like drinking in the car, and and, like, and, and, and he told, and so he told Buddy, "You ever come in this car with with alcohol again, and you know, your persona non gratis." And, and Buddy just ignored him. He just like, I mean, he didn't continue to drink, but he pretty much like, yeah, it's like it's like somebody's parent talking to them and they ignore him. That's that's what uh, that's the way Buddy reacted to him. And Jody, to your point, I wouldn't think Buddy play would play offense. He's a defensive guy, so that's a a, a little bit of a surprise. But yeah. I I do want to mention because Damo, it is beach season, so pick up his book, and that's a a, a bird's eye view. Leo Carlin was with Damo. Uh, it's a great read. So everybody get that for beach season. But I want to I want to fast forward with you, Damo, to the Jeffrey Laurie era because you were here and are still here for every day of it. And, and I want to get your take on how things have progressed with Jeffrey Lurie, because we we've had a couple guys on, Jason Cole being the latest uh, fellow Hall of Fame voter with you. He was close to Joe Banner uh, back in the day. Kind of the shift of Jeffrey Lurie, the metamorphosis as he's continued, is it changed that much, or is it just that, Andy Reid was the better politician and he could kind of steer Jeffrey in the right direction. Yeah. You know, I mean, but for most of, of as, you know, 14 years with Andy, he let Andy, he let, you know, they, they been, hiring Andy was very controversial. I mean, uh, he was a quarterback's coach with green Bay at the time had never called plays, which was a big thing back then. Um, and, you know, they had some, the, uh, his name escapes me. The uh, former Steeler coordinator, defensive coordinator, that was the other guy they were considering, uh, was also New Orleans defensive coordinator. God, I'm bad with names. Take anyway, oh, they were no. no not, uh, oh, Jim Hazlitt. Yeah, Hazlitt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they ended up going with, with with after doing a lot of research. To their credit, I mean, they they took a gamble going with Andy, and and it paid off. I mean, I know he didn't win a Super Bowl here, but and which people will forever uh, punish yeah. him for. But he was a great coach, you, you know. Um, and 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 Jeff kept his distance during that. He never interfered. Now, again, again, like you said, this is Andy. He quickly established some uh, cred 
by taking them to playoffs early. So, you know, coaches are going to tell them what to do. You know, once we get into the Doug Peterson era, even when he wins a Super Bowl, you know, you suddenly you've got a situation where, where Jeff's interfering with coaching hires, coaching fires, uh, things like that. I, I'm not sure what caused that. Um, I, I think probably concerned by him that, 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 that Doug was – that he just didn't totally trust Doug to make those kind of moves. And I, I don't, you know, and I think we – I don't know what we're going to see with Nick, but I'm sure there was input, uh, more input than there was – I mean, they, there was input back when you go to Andy putting his uh, coaching staff together. I mean, they – Banner and, and Lurie discussed things with him, like, you know, how much experience you want on your staff – getting older coordinators that have been around a while, like Jim Johnson and uh, Rod Dowauer initially, before they started taking younger guys. Um, you know, I think that's what they, you know, with this staff, I, I've got to believe that, 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 that Jeff and, and Roseman had input into keeping Jeff Stoutland because, I mean, that's not something, you know, that uh, Sirianni would have, known really i mean he, he would have known that by you know stout by reputation was a good coach but i don't know that he would have kept him on as offensive coordinator so yeah, he seems to be more micromanaging now than than he than he has for most of the time he's owned that team since since he hired andy now before that you know we saw a lot of that as well when when you know when when ray Rhodes was the coach uh, early on, early on, when he first got here as the owner, bought it from Bremen. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on there. As far as you know, I mean, you know, that's when he would be at the combine with a stopwatch. He and Joe. <laughs> you know, there was that. That was more over exuberance. Yeah. Uh, that was Harold but, Katz like with the combine. Yeah, they, the, yeah. they quickly learned that they didn't know as what they didn't know and left it to the professionals. Um, but you know, so I'm I'm cons- I'm going to be interested to see how this plays going forward. Is he going to go back to you know? I think right now he's still going to be very involved because this is a team that's at a very crucial point in its existence. I mean, they're 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 re- they're retooling. Uh, they're making many you know they're they're making many changes. And I don't know, you know, how his job is not in jeopardy at least yet. But there's got to be some doubt at least that uh, starting to creep into. Jeff's mind about whether this guy's up for the job. So I think we're going to continue to see him be involved on a day, you know, on that kind of basis for a while here. Damo, did you, I know you got uh, the, the Brayman era and certainly the lore era. Did you catch the tail end of the Leonard Toes era or was Norman already the owner by the time you started? No, uh, the year before, uh, the year before he, I was there for the, the whole, uh, almost went to Phoenix, uh, debacle and yeah no i was i was there for the good part the quote to me was i'll take this i'll move this team over my dead body and then a day later his daughter is looking for schools in phoenix for his <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right so so you had three different owners which means a lot of executives and when i say executives general managers presidents people of uh serious power that could make and move and shake things in the organization of that large group, who was the one who you thought was the straightest shooter? Because some people believe in misinformation and giving stuff to guys to uh, uh, maybe uh, get someone looking in a different direction or not tip their hand for something they're planning on doing down the road. 
either on the record or off the record, who is the straightest shooter as an Eagle executive you ever covered? Guys, help me again with a name here. Uh, former Pittsburgh Steeler exec that, uh, that was hired right before Andy. Uh, uh, Tom Modrak. Tom Modrak. Uh, Tom, clearly uh, straightest shooter I've ever covered. Uh, you know, I never lied to you. Uh, his mistake was, and he was a very good executive as he proved in, in Pittsburgh and even here. Uh, but he took over. He, he was the he was the one that did not want Andy, which kind of put him behind the eight ball in the first place. Uh, and then after Andy took over, his agent wanted him to become. That was that was when they were looking for for head coaches to become uh, general managers as well. You know, have the whole be in charge of the whole shooting match. And and so that was that was it for Modrak. I mean, he besides that, he also. Didn't much care for. He did a poor job of, of, of telling. There are ways. If you're working for a guy and a, and a general manager, if you're if you're working for uh, like people like Banner, and Lori, who are getting a little too over your shoulder, you know, some people have a knack for being able to to massage them out of the picture without uh, offending them. Tom had no time for that. He basically told him to get away. <laughs> you hired me. Now get the hell out of my out of my face, and that didn't play well. He was gone a year later. <laughs> so, you know, that's wow. what two thousand one, wow. Andy, the executive vice president of football operations, and and uh, the rest is history. Well, uh, speaking of offense, Tom. Okay, we have to get into it, and uh, a lot of people don't know our buddy Mike Sealski, friend of the show. Uh, was called a weasel this year. You were the original weasel. Actually, it was Bobby Heenan, but Jody and I are wrestling guys. But Asante Samuel, tell us the Asante Samuel story, and uh, you guys are yeah, pretty much tongue-in-cheek yeah. at this point. Well, you know, Asante signs with the Eagles, and, you know, he, Asante was a, was a terrific cover corner. I mean, one of the you know, the most extinct, instinctive corner probably that I've ever covered. Uh, but he wouldn't tackle. I mean, he just refused to tackle. <laughs> and, and it just drove me nuts. I mean, to watch him, like, he'd run away from, from contact. He wouldn't just, like, uh, not make a, you know, not execute a, a good tackle. He would just, like, ah, I think I'll <laughs> – kind of like the guy that says – you know, the, the guy that's pretending to fight somebody and says, you know, hold me back, hold me back. <laughs> uh, that kind of was Asante early on. And I, you know, I wrote him, I didn't make any bones about it. I ripped, ripped him for it. And he took offense. And we had a couple, I mean, Asante's smaller than me, uh, but we had a couple locker room things where, you know, he would just kind of get in my face to try to intimidate me when I was talking to somebody else, which, just annoyed me to no end because you're trying to conduct an interview with somebody else and, and a third party, inter, you know, is, 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 is disruptive. Uh, just drives you nuts as, as you guys know. So, I mean, that's, that's how it started. We were that way for a while. Then he finds out at some point, I, I forget who told him, uh, he, you know, uh, Asante from the day he entered the NFL was obsessed with making the uh, hall of fame. So at some point, uh, shortly after he gets there and, and, and after the two of us have a few run-ins, he asks some other writer, hey, who's the Philadelphia uh, guy on the Hall of Fame uh, committee? And the guy tells him, you know, me. And he goes, oh. <laughs> 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 so, uh, 
But after <laughs> he swallowed, after that, he swallowed his pride, and like I was his best buddy. I mean, <laughs> he's just. Yeah. You know, he'd be always asking me, what do I need? What do I need to get in the Hall of Fame? You know, I'd tell him, you know, you need another 10, 15 interceptions. Oh, man, I can't get it. And, and I, I still one of the one of the most memorable moments of my career is Asante leaves and goes to Atlanta. And I remember it because it was the day Garrett Reed passed away. I was down in Sewanee, uh, not Sewanee, uh, Flowery Branch, Georgia, Flowery where, the, Branch, yeah. where, the, where the Falcons trained. Uh, for training camp, I was down there that day to do a Michael Vick story. No, was it Vick? Vick was already up here. It was it was to do Asante, I guess. But as I'm coming out the door of the facility to to head towards the practice field. I'm still like I want to say a hundred yards away from Asante. He was out on the field in the middle of drills, and he spots me, and he's going, "Stop the wind! Stop the wind!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately for Asante Samuel, he thought he was Deion Sanders, but without the flair and the big play capabilities, that's why yeah. Deion's in the Hall of Fame and Asante isn't and won't be getting there anytime shortly soon. After, shortly after he left, I, he asked me, what do I need? What do I need? I said, you know, you really, to get into the conversation, you still need about, you know, 10 more interceptions and, and it crushed him. And, you know, yeah. fortunately he still talks to me when I did a story on his, on his uh, son, uh, earlier this year, Asante, I couldn't get him off the phone. So, I mean, you know, we've turned out, we've had a pretty good relationship ever since, but it's funny how it started. <laughs> that is funny. All right, uh, Damo, I want to take you back just a couple of years ago, 2017 into 18, and we all know how it ended with uh, Jason Kelsey dressed as a mummer. Uh, but along that way, along that ride, was there an incident? Was there a specific play? Was there a turning point that you said to yourself before we got to the final game and beating Tom Brady? Was there something that told you, damn, this could be special? This might be different than any of all these other Philadelphia Eagles seasons I've covered. Well, it's funny. Uh, it went so fast, uh, the regular season. I mean, you know, they no one expected them to be a Super Bowl team when the season started. Uh, you know, they were coming off of, what, 7-9 season, John? I mean, they were a decent team, but, you know, I mean, they caught lightning in a bottle. Uh, and at some point, I'm trying to think when, during that regular season, they just suddenly were, like, unstoppable. I mean, they were, the schedule was favorable. They didn't play a whole lot of tough teams, but they just started killing people. You know, and then – but you're still thinking, okay, that's, you know, that's fine. But And, and then Carson goes down in, in the L.A. Coliseum in week 14, I believe it was. And I thought that was it. I mean, I, yeah, we all did. It was like a week at the Novacare conference. No, week. It was like a week. They I thought remember, it was over. I remember the LA Coliseum is one of the most horrible places for uh, to cover a, a road team because you can't get into the locker room uh, because it's so small. I mean, so we're all out in this uh, this uh, small alleyway outside the locker room, waiting for players to come out. We don't know. You know, we're we're pretty sure that that Carson's out for the season, but we don't know. We're waiting. And you're right; it was like a wake uh, when the, as the players are coming out, they're talking, they're they're doing the the you know we're going to carry on, you know, uh, next man up. But let's face it, you know. And then Nick Foles takes over, and and still you're like, there's no way they win with Nick Foles. I don't think I thought uh, Jody that that they had a chance to win the Super Bowl 
until the ball goes through Julio Jones's hands uh, in, in the end zone in a play that should have eliminated them from the playoffs. I mean, there's no reason. Julio Jones just – now that'll be the catch in his career. That'll be the catch he never – he didn't make that he – you know, I mean, as great as he is, there's no reason he shouldn't have caught that. And at, at, at that point, you're thinking there's something going on here. This is karma. And, you know, they – so. I I didn't say this on the air at the time. I sure as hell didn't. Uh, and I only thought of it after the fact. I've said on the air several times since the person most responsible for the Philadelphia Eagles winning a Super Bowl, Teddy Bridgewater, because he goes down preseason. Sam Bradford gets dealt. Carson Wentz gets put in probably before his time. I know it's a year later, but it began the steps that led to the 2007 Super Bowl. So when Teddy Bridgewater shows up with the Denver Broncos this year, I think uh, yourself, John, we would you all go down and shake Teddy Bridgewater's yeah. hand when he comes yeah, in. No. Do, uh... Well, Carson would have been there anyway by by the next season. But you're right; it it kickstarted things. There were so many things. Chris Long, Patrick. Rob Remember training camp, Dama? We're all like Patrick Robinson is having a mental breakdown playing oh, outside yeah. corner. He just looked awful. And then we they move him inside to the slot. He's the best slot cornerback in football. That is lightning. That is yeah. lightning striking. And, and, and there were so many examples. And, and that was not a stroke of genius. That was a – this is his only chance of making this. Yeah. Team. I yeah. mean, Jim says, okay, take a shot. At, we'll put, move him inside, see if you can make it there. And, you know, and he ends up being one of the big difference makers on that team that year. Yeah. It, but, it was I just mean, a, Nick, Nick Foles did in the playoffs. It's just – I mean, I still look at those numbers. What he – you look at his third down numbers, not only in the Super Bowl, uh, but in the two, other two playoff games. I mean, he's, he, he did nothing after that. You know, his career was very ordinary before yeah. that. I mean, that's why I mean lightning in a bottle. I mean, it was like the man was touched by the hand of God. Yeah. He just, you know, it's just And you, Damo, you go all the way back to camp again. Remember Nick had that elbow issue. And then right. months later, Brandon Graham tells us he was thinking about retiring. I got him together with my acupuncturist, and he said, all right, let's go. Let's give it a try. He was thinking about walking away. It, it, it was a special, special year. And speaking yeah. of, uh, special writer here, Paul Domovich, you talked about, uh, can you give us a little hint what the next book is going to be? Have you started to formulate some thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, uh, Jody mentioned earlier with the USFL, I've been wanting to do a book on Sam Mills for, uh, you know, many years. Uh, yeah. And, and I just, one of the reasons you know, I, I didn't plan to retire uh, right now. My, my plan, I'm 67. I was thinking of kind of staying on until I was 70. Then they offered a, a pretty generous buyout to anybody that was around as long as I have been. Um, Starting to see the the you know we got a new sports editor so I was kind of seeing the the writing on the wall, um, and it just uh, I also wanted to you know, to get to his book while I still was enthusiastic about writing a book. Um, you know I mean Sam is the most inspirational guy I've ever covered. Uh, not just what he did with the Stars when he was the, the best player in, in that league, but he goes to New Orleans and you know in New Orleans and Carolina where he's a, a six time Pro Bowler where. They got a statue of, of him. He only played three, yeah. three, four years in Carolina, and there's a statue yeah. outside the stadium of him. And then he, you know, ends up dying at, uh, of cancer at uh, 45. Um, so I just, 
I've always, you know, I've wanted to do this book. Uh, I knew Sam real well when he, when he was in Philadelphia. Um, and that just, so it just seemed, everything seemed like the timing was right to do it, including the book. So, you know, I'm still going to do some freelance if anybody wants some. Uh, the inquirers suggested that both Les and I will probably, you know, if we want, can still do some freelance. Particularly, you know, they've talked to me about doing stuff around the draft. Uh, but, you know, the book is kind of my number one priority. So September 1, I'll, uh, I'll get started on that as soon as I hit training camp one more time. And right. one thing we have found out is that through today's interview, Damo works well or relates with or relates against guys smaller than him. Asante Samuel, Sam Mills. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question about this upcoming Eagle season. Is there either a big guy or a small guy that you think can help direct this season one way or the other? Now, we know they're coming off 4-11-1. We would like to think it can't get worse, but it could. Or there is a potential scenario and narrative with a reason. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bound and a step up and a coach hitting the ground running and a second-round pick who got crushed the day he was drafted in this town who's now going to be in charge of everything. Who's the guy? What's the narrative? Who's the storyline that will dictate this upcoming Eagle season? I think there's just there, there's one overriding uh, narrative and, and, and storyline to this season. It's Jalen Hurts. Uh, he's going to dictate whether this is a, a, you know, a better than everybody expects season or, you know, I mean, they're also going to find out whether he can play as far as going forward, uh, you know, I mean, they, they need to find out whether he can be their long-term quarterback or whether they got to use those three draft picks next year to find one. Um, you know, he's got the benefit of at least right now, what is a healthy offensive line again, you know, which I think is going to be, you know, even though there's, you got a lot of age on that line, there's, <clears throat> he's going to have some protection. This isn't going to be like last year where, where Carson was just uh, deer in headlights by the end of the, by the end of the time he got out of there. I mean, I think if Jalen, if they can figure out how to to kind of harness Jalen and 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 use his uh, talents, and I, and, I, and I like what they did by bringing in Brian Johnson. I think he'll he'll be a positive in working with Jalen. I think Jalen's the key here. Jalen's not only the key for this year, but he's the key going forward either as the quarterback or as not the quarterback. Cause if he's, if they decide this season that he's not, then they got to go find one. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about that offensive line. I think you were on when Jody, where I, uh, I want to get your thoughts and then we'll let you go. Dama want to get your thoughts on, on what I was saying about Isaac Sayamalo. I, I, I compared it to when they drafted lane. Uh, they, the plan was, okay, he's going to move to left tackle. But uh, Jason kept playing and playing and playing. And then they said, oh, Lane's really good at right tackle. We're not moving him. Isaac's not that type of player. But I think he's settled in at left guard. And, and we know Jeff, Jeff Stoutland doesn't like moving pieces. Right. So long term, you think Landon Dickerson is, is earmarked for either 
to be either Jason Kelsey's replacement, Brandon Brooks's replacement, or could they move Isaac Samalo inside? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you were saying earlier. I think they prefer to leave Isaac right where he is. He's developed into one of the better left guards in this league. Um, and I think they're just fascinated. Now, you know, my problems with the Landon Dickerson pick had nothing to do with his ability. I just don't know if he can stay healthy with all the serious injuries he's had. But I think they are fascinated by the prospect of taking a 6'5", 300, what is he, 50? 30. Yeah, he's big. 30-pound guy at center. You've, you'd be going from, from Jason Kelsey, one of the most athletic, undersized uh, centers in the league, to a to a, a, a monster in the middle who also is, is incredibly athletic. And I think that intrigues them. I think that's where they'd like to keep him. But a lot, you know, a lot's going to depend on, on, you know, whether Brandon Brooks can stay healthy, whether Isaac, you know, I mean, so it's, you know, other factors are going to, are going to weigh in here, but I think their preference would be to keep him at center. Although uh, I never got to see his coaching stylings. I was told by people I know and like and trust that he is absolutely one of the top 100 girls basketball coaches in the history of Marlton basketball. He preceded me by a couple of years and I'm spending quality time on the sidelines. And he's a pretty damn good writer during his day. And he's going to continue to do it. We'll be on the lookout for the book. And oh, by the way, we're not losing his number. We're going to continue to punch Paul Domowicz up here with us on Birds 365. Domo, thanks for hopping on today. Uh, enjoy the downtime. We're looking forward to the Mills book. Uh, hopefully you'll say yes when we ask you to come here on the show. Anytime, guys. Just give me a call. That Thanks, is Paul Domowicz here with us on Birds 365. I will come back. Uh, John McMullen. Uh, John McMullen. John, John McClain of the Houston yeah. Chronicle. I can't get McMullen out of two, my mind. Two uh, Johnny Macs. Another Johnny Mac will be joining us here on Birds 365. Stick around. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. J Mac and J Mac. Going to be joined by a J Mac coming up in a couple of minutes. Uh, McMullen, McDonald, and McLean on the way. I'm Birds 365. Uh, John McLean has only been writing about the league for decades. Like Damo, been there, done that in almost every single aspect of the word. Yeah, do, Deshaun Watson will be the number one topic we get into, but we're going to get into a lot of things across the league with uh, John McLean when he joins us uh, from the Houston Chronicle coming up in a couple of minutes. All right, uh, JM, you tell me. You got those uh, Quez Watkins slot numbers. I asked you about this earlier. We were talking about the wide receiver group this year on how you and everybody else, except for me, are trying to push Greg Ward off the field. And part of that is that Quez Watkins could get time in the slot this year. And I wondered aloud how much time he actually spent in the slot last year. It doesn't mean one (laughs) has to be beholden to the other, but uh, what can we actually have on film to judge Quez Watkins' abilities to perform in the slot, uh, what were his numbers coming out of the slot last year? Yeah, not uh, obviously not a lot. He only played 119 offensive snaps, Jody. Uh, so that's how little he played. Um, for the vast majority of them, 91 times he was lined up out- outside. Uh, he was only in the slot 25 times. And he was in the backfield three times. So you could see they were trying to use him a little bit as a decoy because of the speed, uh, because of his ability to to run by people. So I don't think the Eagles' new coaching staff got much from the film and said, oh, Quez Watkins can do this from the slot. I think it's more of his speed, his size, and let's see if he can play in the slot is basically – where I think they are with, with Quez Watkins. Um, you know, during the, the, the small windows we had in the offseason uh, in the OTAs, they were doing some interesting things as well. When they, were, when they were down by the goal line working on red zone work, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside would play in the slot. They were trying to take advantage of his size, but only down in the red zone and trying to throw – 
those uh, sort of post patterns, you know, you, you run to the back of the end zone uh, near the, the goal post and, and just throw the football up and see if you can come down uh, with it. So they're going to try some different things to get these players on the field. Bottom line is they got to perform. They got to perform. And if they don't, your guy's going to be out there. Uh, and I'm uh, still in the uh, Greg Ward camp, and I'm not going to be pushed out anytime soon. All right, it will be Jalen Hurts throwing those passes up to J-Jaw, making great grabs near the back of the end zone. I need to see, <laughs> need to see that with my own yeah. eyes. Uh, it won't be Carson Wentz. And speaking of Carson Wentz, um, I saw this on Pro A lot of Carson Talk. Wentz news. Yes. Uh, apparently did an interview with Beth Hool of the Valley News in North Dakota, didn't ever hear. Well, that he was publicly. doing his uh, he was doing his softball game out there, so it's one of the few times you get. Uh, like yesterday, Jason Kelsey was doing charity in Seattle City, uh, so you get him away from sort of the NFL vibe. Sometimes you get some stuff. Um, obviously, Carson's very comfortable in North Dakota. Um, so, yeah, he's talking about his mental health, talking about a new passion for the game, talking about it all, Jody Mack. Right. Are you a big fan of Beth Hool's work? I didn't know. I don't know Beth, Beth but she yeah. did a good job getting uh, she Carson got, She got some up. info. I need to read this for the Eagle fans because let's see if it bothers them as much as it bothers me. And, and more power to her for being able to get him to open up and the like. But some of the things he said and the stances he took – seem to be incongruous with what we saw here in the last year. Um, he was asked about mental health in an interview, and Carson's response was, it's sad that it wasn't socially acceptable, but I think it's more understood now because I think everyone can relate. I think it's okay. People are realizing that it's okay. It's not to be okay to talk about it. Everyone's got somebody in their life, whether it's a counselor, teammate, friend, brother, wife, pastor, whoever it is, if they don't have that, they can hopefully find someone like that. I've been fortunate to have people in my life when things are going south or I'm struggling to have an honest conversation with to refocus, reframe my mindset. And I think that's so important for everybody. Where, where were these people this year? When things mm. were going south with Carson, yeah. he says he's got him in his life. Did they all take vacation from October until December last year? Nobody got him straightened out. Nobody gave him solace. No, nobody gave him honest opinions. Well, maybe they did. Like, you, Jody, know you, don't, you don't know. Maybe they did. Uh, just didn't work out. But I do look. I we just had Dombo on. We're going to have John McClain on. Uh, you know, if you've been around for a while in this industry, you tend to develop some cynicism. And that's where I am with this kind of stuff. Look, we know where we are in society as a whole. There are certain things that are, use whatever phrase, terminology you want, are politically correct. And you have to say certain things. And I think guys are very conscious of their brand as we talk about it, which is on the on on the forefront and certainly NFL quarterbacks are in that conversation. They know how they have to act, Jody. And, you know, they play a game. There's a little cynicism there. What, what you can say is didn't work for Carson Wentz. I don't know. He might've had those sounding boards. He might've gotten good advice. He didn't implement that advice to a successful degree here. Good luck to him. Maybe well, he does it in Indian, Indianapolis. All right. Maybe I am uh, cynic as the day is long. 
Don't you need to express that too, Carson? I had these sounding boards and I didn't listen to any of them last year. Or the advice they gave me wasn't quite what I needed and it didn't pan out for us. Rather than just, oh, I had people around me and now I feel so much more comfortable. People still want explanations as to what the hell happened last year. Carson Wentz went from a guy who was MVP caliber to not even ranked in the top 32 quarterbacks in the league. And oh, by the way, there are only 32 teams. Yeah, Carson, we still want some answers about what the hell happened last year. We've got our own speculation, but we'd rather hear it from the horse's mouth as to why things went in the tank for Ian Eagles last year. If you were to ask me what the problem was, I center on two things more than anything else. I center on, one, health. He's not the same guy. Uh, He's not going to say that. I mean, if he does, he'd be the first athlete to say it. Uh, I don't know what you gain from that. And the second part is, uh, you know, he didn't work in the offseason. His mechanics have gone steadily down. His fundamentals have gone steadily down ever since John John DiPolippo left this organization. I don't know whether the player's going to admit that as well. Oh, I didn't do what I should. Eh, Maybe occasionally you'll hear a guy say, I didn't do what I should have done in the offseason but very rarely. So I don't know, Jody, if you want honesty, eh, you're not going to get it much in professional sports these days. Okay. Just let me double check something. So we've moved on from Jalen Hurts' draft pick in the second round, getting in Carson's head. No, one of the top I just said the two most, the two most, look, it got in his head. I mean that that I I don't know if you're trying to say it didn't it got in his head. Well, if you're not putting it in the top two, well, because I don't think it is in the top okay. two. I I think ultimately the, the the bigger issues is he's not the same guy physically, and he, and he didn't as we talked about you know taking Aaron Rodgers again MVP of the league upset about a certain situation, okay. But he, but he overcame it and became the MVP again. Um, in Carson's situation, I think he's very upset that the Eagles drafted the quarterback. Um, but he also isn't the same physically, and I think that's more uh, important when you sort of do the autopsy, so to speak, on his downfall. We always talk about, you know, COVID was a big thing, the pandemic. You see how many – Uh, hundreds of thousands of people died of COVID. You know, when you have an autopsy, you have something called a comorbidity. And uh, in other words, you might, the the doctor that might put down, you died of a heart attack, but you also had other issues as well. There were a lot of issues that contributed to Carson Wentz leaving Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts was one of them. He wasn't number one. That's where I am. Fair enough. And I'd like some more comorbidity answers, but we're not getting them from Carson Wentz. We are going to get a lot of answers from our next guest. He's one of the best in the business. He's been doing it for years, covering the National Football League with a bent toward his hometown of H-Town down there in Texas. John McClain of the Houston Chronicle is going to join us. Hopping aboard Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. 
But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Thursday edition of Birds 365. John McMullen, Jody McDonald with you. We are very excited about our next guest joining us because he brings a lot of knowledge in the National Football League to us. And, oh, by the way, he's got a quarterback that has been talked about a lot here in Philadelphia. He's never played it down here. <laughs> but people are wishfully thinking for the future. Uh, John McClain at the Houston Chronicle joins us here on Birds 365. Johnny Mack, how are you? I'm great, Jody. And, John, how are you today? Doing well. Thrilled to have you on the show, John. I think we have to start with Deshaun Watson. And obviously nobody's been closer to the situation than you. Um, obviously there's uncertainty, but Nick Cesaro spoke a, a few weeks ago and said he expects uh, something to come down by training camp. And I think, you know, from the outside looking in, we think commissioners exemplist. Is there any other avenue you see for this uh, in the short term 
rather than the long term? No, absolutely not. Nobody knew what Nick Casario was talking about when he said that on the flagship radio station here, Sports Radio 610, because nobody expects anything to happen before training camp. Watson still has the 22 civil suits. It's an unprecedented situation, a great quarterback, 25 years old, under contract through 2025. The NFL is investigating. You guys know how slow the NFL investigative arm is. They have other things they're investigating as well. And there's a the police investigation here. And I don't think anything will happen until the legal issues are resolved. Now, I'm not talking about with Cadell because he doesn't have to have legal issues resolved, as you guys know. So I believe that after Watson has this behind him, then they'll trade him, but they're not going to take the first offer. And we talk a lot about the Eagles down here because Jalen Hurts is here, of course. He's a mm-hmm. he's a really popular player here, he and his family. But the fact is, you if you could have Jalen Hurts or Deshaun Watson, who's coming off a great season in every statistic, you know, who would you rather have? And, of course, the Eagles could have three number one picks next year if Wentz stays healthy. So there are other teams, and I think the best time to trade him would be before next year's draft, after the Eagles have seen Jalen Hurts, after the Giants have found out in Daniel Jones' third year if they think he's the guy or not. They have two number ones. Detroit has two number ones. What if they don't like Jared Goff in his first season with them? Plus, Denver has been interested all along, as have other teams. And Carolina showed a lot of interest before, you know, if he was available before the season, would they make a trade or would they rather see what they could get out of Sam Darnold? So I think that best offers would be before the draft. But I know this, guys, Watson wants to move on. The Texans want to move on. But these are 22 lawsuits and they are disturbing and those are serious accusations. And the women who file them deserve to be heard. John, one of the most intriguing things that have come out in the last couple of weeks about this entire situation, I understand that the lawsuits are the lawsuits, and the NFL doesn't want to be beholden to what happens in a court of law, but nor do they want to overstep or uh, do something to fly in the face of uh, court decisions. So they're doing their own investigation, and they always do. I did see a quote from the lawyer who represents the plaintiffs in the case, all the people who uh, have brought lawsuits against Deshaun Watson, his stating that no one from the NFL is yet to interview Deshaun Watson, that they're doing an investigation, but they're not talking to the guy who they're investigating. How can that possibly be true? Well, Jody, that's true because they always do the talking in Roger Goodell's office at the end of the investigation, not at the start. Goodell's got to have the facts as he can get them from his investigative department. He wouldn't talk to him early before he had all the facts. And so at the end, uh, that's when they'll call him on the carpet in New York. So to me, that was not surprising at all. I didn't expect that anytime soon. And even after they get him on the carpet in the commissioner's office, it doesn't mean he's going to make a verdict in a week or two weeks. Some of these, some of these investigations have taken a year or more. And so I don't think anything's going to happen 
anytime soon. Uh, most people believe Watson will be suspended under the personal conduct policy. It just <clears throat> how long that will be. And also, he could go on the commissioner's exempt list, and he would get paid his ten point five million base salary, and uh, and to work out on his own. And only Goodell can determine that. No matter if the team or a player wanted to go on the exempt list, they have nothing to do with it. It's just Goodell. When they go on, how long they stay, and when they come off, all is to be determined by the commissioner. All right, John, let's talk about your team, the Houston Texans, that you cover. Now, you've been around for a long time. You go back to the Oilers days. So I, I want to ask, have you ever seen more upheaval in one offseason for one organization when you talk about – Obviously, new head coach. We just mentioned the quarterback situation and the uncertainty there. But the turnover on this roster, even in the modern environment where there's significant turnover, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Can you, are there any uh, comps to it? John, I go back to 1977 and Bum Phillips and the Oilers, and I've never seen turnover like this. Nick Casario was brought in from New England where he spent the last 20 years, 13 as personnel director. He showed what he thinks about this team. And so he's brought in 50 new players, 42 Ooh. of them in veterans, all got one or two year contracts. Only one Cameron Johnston got a three year contract. So you got a lot of hungry veterans who either were hurt last year or didn't play real well last year or their teams didn't want them back. So you've got these guys knowing they're on short-term prove-it contracts with the cap going back up next year, and there's going to be a lot of competition. They have so many players at every position, it's hard to keep up. There are three quarterbacks. Terod Taylor is the starter. Jeff Driscoll is the backup. Rookie Davis Mills is third. It's the first time since their expansion season in 2002 in which all the quarterbacks are new. And I wrote a column this week on our sports website, TexasSportsNation.com, about how do they distribute those snaps in camp and preseason when you have Terod Taylor, who needs to learn his new teammates in a new system. Jeff Driscoll, you got to get him a little action. But Davis Mills, the first pick that uh, from Stanford, that's the one everybody wants to see. At some point this season, guys, they have to take an extensive look at Davis Mills. The problem with him is he started only 11 games at Stanford. You know, COVID-19 and what happened in the Pac-12 really hurt him. Had he stayed, he might have been a top pick, top 10 pick next year. But at some point, they've got to watch him play multiple games. And I believe the ideal time would be after the bye week. They play nine, they've got a bye week, then they've got eight. That would be the time to look because if if he can't convince them he's the guy, then they got to target a quarterback first and foremost in next offseason. But if he could, it could have a tremendous impact on their draft because they could rebuild at other positions and they're going to have a high number one, maybe first overall, as most of us think. And then they might have another one or two or two ones for Deshaun Watson. So that's the key to the rebuild. But right now they've got a revolving door over at NRG Stadium. I feel bad for everybody that's got to keep up with the plane tickets, getting these guys in and out of town. <laughs> John, if the quarterback position is in flux, and I think we can safely say that, um, one of the best ways to de-emphasize that is your ability to run the football. And they've got a couple of new running backs that have come in either last year and or 
each year, including Philip Lindsay, a guy I've always been a fan of. And at times he flashes and looks like he could be the real deal and a big time player. And at others, he disappears. You can either lay that blame at his feet and or his uh, offensive coaching in Denver or the organization in Hull. Uh, he signed this year with the Texans. Give me a quick evaluation of the Texas running game. Because if the quarterbacks aren't up to snuff and Deshaun isn't back and uh, we're not sure exactly what Tyrod Taylor brings to the table, are they going to be able to run the football effectively this year? That's mission number one on offense. Last year, they ran it fewest times in franchise history, had the second fewest yards rushing to their first season in 2002. And Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator, he was calling plays for Watson to throw, which was smart because Watson played great and he was all they had. Uh, other than they had a good receiver, Brandon Cooks, who was terrific. So now they're going to go back to the run and try to have balance. They have so many new offensive linemen. They're going to have two or three new starters on the <laughs> interior. And you guys know linemen like to fire off the ball and hit people. So they'll be doing that again. And, and David Culley, the new coach, comes from Baltimore. Ravens were number one in rushing last two years. Two years, three years before that, he's in Buffalo. And they ranked in the top ten in rushing then. So he wants to run the ball. Casario comes from the Patriots. They were fourth in rushing last year. So they have David Johnson, turning starter. Philip Lindsay coming off an injury last season. Mark Ingram, who was benched in Baltimore. And Rex Burkhead, who was signed coming off knee surgery from the Patriots. So they have four veterans, not all will make the team, but they will reemphasize the run. And as you just mentioned, Jody, that's good for a quarterback, but it's also good for a defense that was pathetic last season. Forced the second fewest turnovers in the NFL going back to 1980, was last against the run, was terrible against the pass. That defense needs help beyond so many new players. Now, one of the players on the defense that is gone is probably the best player in franchise history, and that's J.J. Watt. Um, but you talked about they were not successful with J.J. Was it just time to move on? And what did he mean to that organization? What did he mean to Houston? I mean, J.J. Watt is just a giant in this game, but was it just time? We've had a lot of great players come through this city, and none's done for the community what J.J. Watt had done. And uh, he had overcome two injuries. He'd come back. The last two years, he was healthy. Last year, he had his uh, career low in sacks, but it wasn't because of him. It's because he had no help whatsoever. All the statistics things, next-gen staffs, pro football focus, they all had him one of the top defensive men in the league, but he had no help around him, and he wanted out. He went to the McNair family, asked them to release him. He turned 31 in March. He wanted to sign with a team that he wanted to sign to with, and they said, okay. And they gave him his release. He told us at the end of the year he just didn't want to be part of a rebuild at this late stage of his career. So he joined DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona. Lovey Smith was brought in to install a base 4-3. First time they've played a base 4-3 since 2010, the year before Wade Phillips arrived, and then Romeo Cornell replaced Wade Phillips. So they've got a new scheme. They have lots of new players in that front seven as they make that transition. I don't know how much better they'll be, if at all, but they can't be any worse on defense, especially against the run, <laughs> when they were 32nd by a long shot. Yeah. Last uh, Texan question, then we got a couple overall league questions for you, John. Um, 
J.J. Watt's production goes out the door. You just said his numbers were down, but it might not have been his fault. Acknowledged and agreed. He was also the leader of that football team, the entire football team, but most specifically the defense. Who does that leadership role pass to, if anyone, for this up- upcoming year's defense for the Texans? That's a great question, Jody. I was asked that on one of my radio shows here in Houston yesterday. Uh, Zach Cunningham is a veteran middle linebacker, and he's not a a vocal guy at all. Justin Reed, a fourth-year safety, one of their best players. I would think it would be Justin, a popular guy, very uh, very vocal and a really good player. I think it'll be him. Somebody asked me about the defensive line. I said, I don't even know who those guys are. They brought in so many new ones. (laughs) Then they have three, three, four linebackers making the transition to end. And so I would say Zach Cunningham or Justin Reed, but there will never be anybody to lead this team or perform for the team like Watt did. I'm going to sneak one more Texans one in on you, Jeff, because locally I want to hear – you mentioned Cam Johnston uh, signed a three-year deal. He was obviously the punter for the Eagles. It's difficult to say in the offseason, but just how is he fitting in? And and also Camus Grugere-Hill – uh, sort of a modern type linebacker. I think he's he's the type of guy you can run. Uh, they had him in New England. Nick uh, had him in New England. Uh, is he going to be a big part of that defense? There's a good chance he could start at outside linebacker. He, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, and Christian Kirksey are all former starters. And we did a, a Zoom with him during the offseason. Everybody liked him a lot. Lo- Lovey Smith said he likes him because he can run and he's yeah. tenacious. That's the thing about veterans coming in here. You got a chance to start, not just get playing time, but you got a chance to start and make more money. As far as Johnston, they cut a really good uh, punter, Brian Anger which surprised me because he had a great season. But then when they signed Johnston, it's obviously Nick Casario liked him a lot and David Culley liked him a lot. But to be the only player out of those 50 that got a three-year contract, that shows you what they think about Johnston. And by all all accounts so far, they like the guy, but – Nobody knows about a punter, of course, till yeah. they get the regular season. But you guys saw him. You know he's good. So special teams are the least of problems on this team. Johnny Mac, speaking of those problems, uh, you've already acknowledged they're going to be looking up at the rest of that division this year. Do have the Jaguars there. Lawrence may hit the ground running, and they may improve uh, pretty significantly this year with Urban Meyer. But uh, there's a division. There's the two top teams, and then there's the two lower teams. Of the two top teams, We've got a little interest in Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts this year because a draft pick is tied to it where it's going to fall and the like. Your eyes, who's the team to beat in this division, Tennessee or Indianapolis? I picked Tennessee last year. They won the division. I picked Tennessee before they got Julio Jones. When you have Derrick Henry and you have A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill, perfect for that system of play action. They averaged 31 points a game before they brought in Julio Jones. Their problem is defense. They're going to score a lot of points. As far as the Colts, fourth starting quarterback in four years, if Wentz was great, he'd still be there for Philadelphia. He wouldn't be reunited with Frank Reich. So they've got a lot to prove in Indy before they can overtake the Colts, but it's clearly a two-team race. I expect both of them to make the playoffs again. As far as Jacksonville's improvement, Jaguars won the first game, lost 15 in a row. He got a first-time head coach. We don't know if he can coach in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence is a rookie. How many rookie quarterbacks step in and and win seven or eight games? It's rare. 
And so I don't expect the Jaguars to be good. I think they'll just be better than the Texans. The Texans have beaten them six in a row going back to 2017. But uh, I do know this. Uh, third team will be Jacksonville. Fourth will be the Texans. And I suspect <laughs> first team will be the Titans. Yeah. Uh, John, we, we talked about Deshaun Watson a lot. It, he is not the biggest story in the NFL this offseason. Aaron Rodgers certainly has been. Um, the impact of the potential of his moving, having on Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, all those dominoes. You mentioned Denver, for instance. That's a team that, in theory, would be heavily interested in an Aaron Rodgers how do you think those dominoes not only fall but affect Houston and the Deshaun Watson situation when it can move forward? Well, guys, I've, I've said from the beginning I do not think Rodgers will be traded for a lot of reasons. Number one, because he tried to get a new contract extension and he didn't get it. And right after his agent went back to California, it leaked uh, to Adam Schefter that he wanted out. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they don't sweeten that pot to get him to come in. As far as Denver, the Broncos would have to give up so much for Rodgers. And I don't care if he has to, wants to play into his 40s. You're sacrificing the next two or three years for a quarterback who wouldn't have many weapons. And so I just don't see it. Plus, I pay a lot of attention to what the former Packer players are in the media, what they think. And I haven't seen any that think he's going to be gone. And they've shown no inclination to trade him. And if they did, then they got Jordan Love. They wouldn't be interested in Watson. The Broncos were one of eight teams that had contacted the Texans to let them know they were interested if they became interested in trading him. The plan was uh, to trade him somewhere, start the negotiation somewhere around April 1st, conclude right before the draft, see how many teams you could get bidding against each other. But then the legal issues came out. Everybody put the interest on hold. It'll happen some point. Don't know if it'll be before camp, the season, trade deadline in October, or before next year's draft. But uh, I think if Rodgers did go to the Broncos, all that would mean is the Broncos would be out of the Watson sweepstakes. Johnny, you're doing up these spots, uh, as you just told me. Uh, I asked a question you just been asked yesterday. Here's one I bet you you haven't been asked, and it's probably on me because I'm kind of obsessed with this show. I talked to my partner here about it yesterday. If you got a conference call from the president of HBO Sports and Roger Goodell, and they said, John McClain, we so trust your ability to sniff out the narratives of the National Football League. We're going to slam dunk hard knocks down the throat of an NFL team this year. They're not going to have a choice. We're doing it with them. Which team should that be? Which team is the best story coming into 2021, in your opinion? The team that's never been on hard knocks, I would love to see the most, is the Patriots. I would love to see Bill Belichick squirm and frown behind the scenes like he's got hemorrhoids. 15 that would be a fabulous story. But this year, the one I would like to see is Arizona because of DeAndre Hopkins yeah. and J.J. Watt and Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. We could go see him at his house again. Cliff could take us behind the scenes like that famous picture from last year's draft and hang out at Cliff's house. I just think they would be a fun franchise to watch. Plus, they're coming off an 8-8 eight eight season. They got a chance to be pretty good in a division, I believe, is the best in the NFL. By the way, John, uh, 
Nick brought that Patriots way, at least in one way, down to Houston with no numbers. We talk about 50 new players, whatever, and they didn't have any numbers on these guys in, in OTAs. So you first don't know day, who's who. First day of OTAs, we got they passed us out rosters with numbers. And I walked by the owner, Cal McNair. He said, how are you? I said, terrible. He said, why? I held it up in front of him. I said, what do you think about this? And I did a video about it that ran on our Chronicle website, in which I ended it with, here's how much information and how useful this roster is. And I poured up and threw the pieces in the air. And then I made a mistake because I had to clean them up, of course, in the parking lot. And I cut it into too many pieces. It oh. took me 30 minutes with a bad back to bend and get to pick them all up and put them in the trash. But the next day they fixed everything. They also had on their website, the 50 new players didn't have numbers next to their name, but that got fixed fast. And turned out the Patriots had tried that and the NFL and the Pro Football Writers of America got involved. They didn't have to do that here, but it didn't last long there. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Johnny Mack, I want to uh, relate to uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We had Paul Domwich on earlier. Um, he's a Pro Football Hall of Fame writer. You're a guy who has won awards from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This upcoming class is going to be a big one. We watch a lot of NFL Network, and every day they're trying to talk. The greatest class to ever go into the history of the Hall of Fame. Is it? Or, uh, they're doing their job, which is to promote and uh, hype and the like. But is this group that's going in this year because of last year inability? It's the biggest group ever. But is it the best group that's ever going into the Hall of Fame? Well, no, you can never say the best group was the first one in 1963. My God, they covered decades and took some of the greatest players in history at that mm -hmm. one. They'll never equal that one. And I think every year I think, wow, we're never going to put a better class than we do the next one. This will be the largest. You have the centennial class. I was honored to be on that committee uh, with some of the greatest NFL people ever, including coaches, former GMs, people in the Hall of Fame. I'm on the selection committee, senior committee, coaches committee, and uh, it's such an honor to be on there. But man, every year it's hard to say it's the best. I think it is, but then the next one comes along. I know this. I feel bad for the people at the Hall of Fame. They've been working 24-7 for months to pull off what they're about to pull off with so many uh, inductees, and they'll do a tremendous job. But, you know, this is a great one, but next year we may say the same thing. Yeah. All right, I'm going to end this fun one for you, John, because I'm I'm watching cable this month, and – Constantly, they're playing the longest yard, the Adam Sandler one. Well, Burt Reynolds is in it too. But I say, but in the movie, and I say, oh, there's McLean. How many, how many movies have you been in over the years? I've know? been in nine. The last <laughs> one I did was the one that was the most fun, Spring Breakers, with James Franco, which is on cable at like every night. And I get residuals. <laughs> I played a judge, and I had to sentence four women. Selena Gomez, the director's uh, Harmony Corinne's wife, uh, Rachel Corinne, uh, Vanessa Hutchins, and Ashley Benson. And so I spent nine hours in a courtroom with them one day, and uh, I enjoyed it. It was a blast. 50-something takes, most of the time because they had to shoot Franco in so many different lightings and angles. But it was a fun day and a great experience. And That was my last one because my agent's awful, and that agent would be me. 
Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Damn, he's bad mouthing his agent. Yeah. Um, but yeah. now you got to tell us that that that's the end of the story. You got to take us back to the beginning of the story. How did you get this aspiring second career as a uh, cameo appearance actor? It started with the rookie when uh, a Baylor buddy of mine, John Lee Hancock, whose last directing job was the Little Things with uh, Denzel Washington earlier this year. And he was doing the rookie and I went on the set because I'm fascinated by movie sets. And then they had to go to Arlington to the Rangers ballpark to film a scene uh, where Morris comes out and pitches for the first time for the Rays as being the oldest rookie in history. So they asked me if I wanted to be an extra. And I said, sure. And I said, what do you need for extras? So, well, we got to have a press box scene. We'll have, we'll have extras in there. I said, well, let me get media people. They can help you publicize this talk shows and, and columnists and writers. So they go, okay. So I rounded up a bunch of media people and we had a blast that day. They helped the wrote stories about it. And the producers are like, Hmm, we may be onto something. So most of the movies I've done have been with those producers because I've, you know, I've helped them promote those movies and I love doing it. And if I had a chance to do it again, I would. Once we hit the internet, though, and it's a 24-7, don't have time to spend two or three days on a movie set waiting for them to say, yeah. okay, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> One more. And when we uh, did Secretariat, I had a scene with Diane Lane and John Malkovich and they cut out my lines, and uh, which was fine. And we had a group there was like five of us taking a picture with Diane Lane and the director and they sent it to me. And I had our graphics person at the Chronicle cut out everybody, but me and Diane Lane. Nice. We were on the set by ourselves. We ran that on our website. I got so much attention from guys because what guy doesn't like Diane Lane? Yeah. Yeah, you certainly would have gotten a thumbs up from McDonald and McLean. That's for damn sure. Johnny Mac, thank you much for coming on. Uh, we will tap into your insight from time to time during the upcoming year if you uh, are gracious enough to uh, jump aboard with us. Thanks for doing so today. Jody and John, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys very much. Have luck, great luck with the show. Keep up the good work, and I hope to see you guys soon. Well, Thanks, you Do just that if uh, you say yes when we ask it out aboard with us. That is John McClain of the Houston Chronicle here with us on Birds 365. Johnny Mac, Johnny Mac, whole bunch of Macs. We'll come back and put a Mac bow on the end of the show. Stay. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything 
or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. All right, coming down the home stretch on this Thursday edition. End of the weekend, as a matter of fact. Birds 365, going to take a lengthy 4th of July weekend. Uh, so we'll be out tomorrow and Monday. We'll return on Tuesday. We've got a couple minutes left here, and we want to thank John McClain for coming on board. God, that guy is good whenever he comes on one of my uh, shows. He's a fun Nine movies, movies, too, Jody. Nine. nine. I had nine. no idea his uh, IMDB page was as big as it actually is, but uh, more power to him. And got a lot of personality, that McLean guy. Um, and uh, he gave us some good insight with Deshaun Watson. Uh, neither John nor I is an attorney, but we both have to fake it in covering the world of sports because – Guys get in trouble, and then we have to figure out exactly how much trouble that is and how it's going to play itself out and the like. And I'll be honest, I don't know how this Deshaun Watson uh, issues down in Texas are going to play themselves out. But Eagle fans would want to know because there's the possibility Deshaun Watson could be the next quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. I get it that he doesn't want to settle if Deshaun Watson is and or believes that he is innocent uh, of the charges that are being levied against him by all these people in the uh, suits that they brought, the civil suits that they brought, 22 of them. You don't want to settle if you don't think you should settle. But sometimes settling is acceptable because all you're doing is writing a check because there is no criminal charges in this case. And it certainly would let him get on with his football life Am I oversimplifying this, John? That no. if I said that, hey, come on, Deshaun, you're not you're not going to jail, you're not going on probation, 
the NFL might hit you with a couple of games suspension, but you want to get on with the rest of your football life, sit down, start the negotiation, see if you can get these suits settled. Is that too simplified, John? No, I don't think it is. In fact, if you think about it, you get the clock started. I think we all assume, as John said, there's going to be a suspension, whether it's six games, eight games, two games, a year. Uh, I can't imagine it being more than a year. Uh, that's going to be the ultimate end game. So why not get the clock started on that as quickly as possible? The other side of that is if you're on the commissioner's exemplist, you're still getting paid. So if you want to hold that hard line, but you are 25, you don't want to lose a large chunk of, of, of what should be the prime of your career. Um, and early in the process, Jody, I mean, there was a wrangling back and forth between the camps. The, the Watson camp wanted to settle. Uh, the numbers just got too big. So it's one of those things where uh, both sides have had discussions about settling, no matter their uh, uh blowhardedness, if you want to make up a word, in the public. They both talked about settling. The question is, can you come to that conclusion? Now you've gotten to this angst where, you know, it becomes a lawyer versus lawyer, Rusty Harden on the case of uh, uh, on uh, defending Deshaun Watson, uh, Tony Busby, uh, who has the 22 complainants. Uh, and now it's gotten a bit personal. It's not good for Deshaun Watson. He's going to play again. I I mean, I think we're far enough along to know that the Houston Police Department doesn't have significant evidence for a criminal uh, case. So it's going to be a civil-type judgment. It's going to be a civil-type situation. And again, the NFL, as John mentioned, can do what they want. They're going to suspend the guy. I'm going to be honest with you. People, because they're going to suspend a guy. I just don't know what that suspension looks like. All right. And you might as well get the clock started if you're Deshaun Watson. And Eagle fans, if nothing else, and again, we appreciate John McClain coming on. I just love the guy. He's he's just such a straight shooter, and he's got that southern drawl. I just uh, always listen to basically whatever he says. And you should too, Eagle fans, because we're not sure what kind of season we're going to have here in Philadelphia. We know what season we're coming off for 11 and one uh, is a rookie head coach in charge is an unproven quarterback at the helm of the team. It, both John and I have suggested maybe through Eagle colored glasses that this team could win eight games this upcoming year. We don't know any of that. This team could be, uh, for if if you, uh, if you turn listen that to tie, the national people, they expect less. We right. talk about if you it all turn, the time. If you turn the tie into a loss and add another game, which could be a loss, yeah, this team really could be four and thirteen. They could be pretty bad. Fear yeah. not, the Houston Texans are going to be worse, as John McClain said. And we could have the number one overall draft that they're going to yeah. if if Deshaun Watson is out of the mix and or is traded because they just need to move on in Texas and all the Texans are getting back in return is draft capital. Not going to help them win games this year. And all the change, J.J. Watt out the door, how'd they replace him? Well, we don't really know yet. Yeah, they could be a pretty bad team. So that's good news, Eagle fans. Even though we're kind of uncertain about what kind of season the birds are going to have, Here's what we know. We're going to be better than the Texans. That's something you can yeah. stick your foot in the ground and say, we're moving on from here. Right, John? 
Yeah, I mean, 50 new players. I've never seen anything like it, and that's why I asked Sean. I mean, there is such turnover, which tells you what uh, Nick Cesaro thought of that organization and that team coming in. We talk about rebuilds in the NFL. We talk about transitions for the Eagles. That's a rebuild. This is the closest thing where I've said they just tore the whole thing down, and the final piece of that is Deshaun Watson. They know he's never going to play again for the Houston Texans, period. End of sentence. Just a matter of when he's out. So it is a complete, complete rebuild. I, Johnny McNeely, you know, I made it down to join Jason Kelsey yesterday at the OD down in CIO. Uh, but no, I had Ed Kratz down there, though. So Kratz got down there? Yeah, he was down there. That's he was on the beach, though, with his daughter, and then he goes there. So I said, nice. all right, do it. Do it. Good. Good for Ed Kratz and good for uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, and Jason said some uh, nice things about the organization, Jalen Hurts, and uh, they raised over $50,000. So more power to him. Good job by those guys. Uh, since Ed Kratz was at the beach, maybe he gave you a hint on which is a hot beach in Sea Isle this week. Is John McMullen heading to the beach this no, week I'm for Fourth of July Fourth weekend? Of July weekend? No. Yeah. I am not heading down that. I, I, anybody who knows me, Jody, you will know. I do not like traffic, man. That I am, I am off-season sure guy. I am not peak sure guy. Yeah, true. July Fourth is kind of peak week down there. It'll be a little bit crowded, but some people like the crowds. Others don't. I got to work, so I don't have a choice. But yeah, I'm. We know where like you're going to. I always know where Jody Max is going to be. You can I don't find have me. To worry. Find me on a radio dial somewhere, if not here with you on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, I won't be facing the traffic. And or the beach, but uh, got a couple of days off for you, JM. Enjoy it, my friend, and we'll uh, tackle these knuckleheads come uh, back Tuesday. You too, Jody. Looking forward to it. We'll be back if next week on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.